Um, so, so glad, so glad that you're here in the house of the Lord today. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I, I separated Kaya and Christian from sitting with your parents, but I'm, I do apologize for that. And I put them to work and our technology is not working. But in the end, it, it really is confirmation that I, uh, I just, I want to share this message today that the Lord dropped in my heart as I was reading a particular passage that I'll get to in just a little bit, a little bit later on. Uh, the Bible tells us this. It tells us that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. The only thing that the devil is able to do is to lie to you. He is incapable of doing anything different than that. However, it also tells us, the scripture also tells us that he is the ruler of the prince and the prince of the power of the air. That is, he has an element of control over this world that we are living in right now. And therefore, as a result of that, we should not think that those lies that he likes to tell are pushed back. But I want to tell you today, it is my hope and my belief that I want to expose three simple lies that he gets unbelievers to believe. And on occasion, he gets believers to believe these lies. How many of you know that if you believe a lie, you become disillusioned. All of a sudden you realize, is anything, you begin to ask questions, is anything true? Is there anything that I can truly believe about this particular situation or whatever it might be? And, and we have seen the, the dreadful, horrible uh, after effects of people believing lies. I remember back in 2000 and roughly 2008, when the housing market crashed, when the stock market just barreled downward. I think it was 2007, 2008. I don't remember what ex exactly what year. But then all of a sudden, a lot of, uh, a lot of shady things were happening and had happened with money that people had invested. And it was found that uh, some of these, these characters, like Bernie Madoff and others, if you remember the name, they made off with a lot of money. I mean, it was, and, and, and no joke, they, it was like a big puff of air that people believed their investment was safe. They believed that he was taking care of their money and, oh, he was taking care of it all right. He was just going out and spending it on himself rather than, and it was this big scheme. It was just a terrible thing. And people began to uh, realize that there are things in the world that, you try to believe, you want to believe, but somehow it just turns out to be different than what you had believed. How many of you know you need faith to operate in everyday life? You do, right? I, I, every now and then we, we travel, we have to travel to uh, take our oldest daughter to and, you know, from college to, to move in, to move out. And there are a number of bridges that I have to go over we go over those bridges trusting, having faith that those bridges are going to hold up. And we have faith that they will. And I, you, like me, have seen reports from time to time of bridges all of a sudden just collapsing out of nowhere. They look new. They look nice. They look like they were well made. And yet somehow, boom, they're gone. 
Maybe even people tragically lost their lives. I have to go through a couple of tunnels. I have to trust that those tunnels will support the weight above and that there will be no erosion of any kind that is going to cause that tunnel to collapse as I barrel through it and want to get out on the other side. I'm not interested in being in a tunnel and living in a cave. I want to be on the other side where the daylight is, and you have to trust. We trust things on a daily basis. And for those who think, well, I am somebody who is really skeptical about everything, but in the end, your skepticism turns into a system of faith. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself being so skeptical that you would be like one ancient philosopher who was skeptical that we were even here. Well, you know, pinch yourself, and that'll remind you we're here. We are in this moment. But there are three lies that an unbeliever believes. Now, I want to go to the scripture, and I do apologize that we won't have it up on the screen, but that's all right. You can either listen to the scripture as I read it to you, and I've got to get there. But there are three lies that are often told. Now, there are more than this, but these three I want to just point out today. And it's an interesting thing. I use the phrase in the title, three lies that the unbeliever believes. If you have ever encountered somebody who simply says, I don't believe in God, well, that's okay. Say they're an atheist. But what you don't realize is you turn that around and they say, I believe that God doesn't exist. All of a sudden now they have a system of faith. They believe he doesn't exist. It's not a hard fact that they're proving in that moment. It is simply a belief. So therefore, the atheist, it's like one author, two authors actually, two guys wrote this book, the late uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, and I believe, I forget the other one, who also helped author it. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You have to have a lot of faith to go in that direction. But here is one of the lies that the enemy often tells us, and we fall for it. And it is this, I believe in God, so therefore I'm okay. I believe in God, so therefore I'm okay. Now I want you to listen to what James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says. I'll focus on verse 19 for a moment and then get back to verse 18. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. Then he goes on and he says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, there are demons in hell who believe that there is one God. They believe in God but they take it a step further than we sometimes do as human beings and we, they shudder in fear and in trembling. They are afraid of the fact that there is truly one God and he is 
the God of the universe, the God who put it all into motion. He is the God who made everything. And oftentimes we say, well, I believe. But what we don't realize is, is that that belief in that moment, what we're calling belief is just a mental agreement with. But faith, James says it, and he actually starts this this uh, teaching a little bit earlier in this passage of scripture in verse 14 where he talks about what good is it to say you have faith if you don't have works to go along with it. If there is not the deed to back it up, if there isn't that thing that says, well, I believe this, but you don't do anything about it. Say, well, I believe that bridge is going to hold me, but you know what? Let's drive around it down into the valley in some other way and get up the other way. No, you don't believe that's going to hold you because you don't go out on it. Now, I, I remember a number of years ago, I don't remember how old the girls were. They were, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that. We went up into the Sears Tower. Sorry, it's still the Sears Tower to me. Willis Tower, isn't it now? I don't know. Have they sold it? I don't, I don't even know. But I, we went up to the, what do they call it? The ledge? Is that what it's called? Where the glass uh, overlooks ja West Jackson? So we, we went up there, and I am, I am terribly afraid of heights. I have no qualms in saying it. I'm not interested in going up on this roof or any roof, for that matter. And so we went up there, and my kids, my girls, walked out onto this glass ledge. And they're like, come on, Daddy, come on, get, it, get out of here. I was like, not a chance in the world. You are not, no way, no way. And, oh, it's safe. Yeah, it's safe. Go ahead. I, I'll try to go run downstairs and catch you if you fall. But go ahead. Just, you know, they were little, so they're tiny, and I'm not so tiny. So I, I said, no, thank you. I was not interested. And... And don't you know, about four to six weeks later, I don't know how, how long the time frame was, I get this email from my mother, and it's an article showing that the ledge had cracked after we had been there. I was like, sure enough, I had gone out there, I, it probably would have cracked in that moment. It was just waiting for somebody like me. It cracked. And I showed that to my kids. I was like, see, see, I told you. We have faith that it's going to hold us. I had no faith that it was going to hold me, and I think my faith was more founded than theirs. We have faith. You need faith and action to work together. You could stand there all day long and say, yeah, I can believe that hold me, but I'm not going on it. I believe it'll hold me. No, your faith has to be shown by action. In every situation that we are in, belief does not necessarily translate into action, and therefore it's just a mental agreement. And this is what the writer James is saying to the people that he is writing to. He's saying, you know what, you say so, but you have to do so. The Bible says, don't be hearers of the word only and deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word of God. You have to be a doer of the word and, and say, I believe in God, so therefore, as a result of my belief, I am going to live for God. Somewhere along the way, Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. He had been a persecutor of the church. He had, he had fought Jesus at every stage, at every point 
possible. He had he was dragging people, Christians, out of their homes. They weren't even called Christians then, but but he was people who believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they were living it. They were truly living the life. And he was dragging them out of their homes and putting them in prison just for being a Christian. And he's on his way to Damascus. And all of a sudden the Bible says there was a bright light and a voice that spoke to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus spoke to him out of that light and said, I am Jesus Christ, the son of God, whom you're persecuting. And from that moment on, Saul became a believer. In that moment, he was taken into the city. He was blinded for about three days until somebody came. A man named Ananias laid hands on him and prayed for him. And in that moment, he became a believer. Well, what differentiated him from being a believer in the staunch Judaism that he was going after the church and then all of a sudden would later on become a great missionary and travel the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, much of the New Testament that we have is as, is as a result of his pen and what the Holy Spirit put in his heart to write. How did that happen? It happened by him not just saying, okay, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, but let me just back my way into my old life and live that way so that, you know, I don't offend anybody. No, he got out there and he had pretty much offended everybody. You read what he did. He, he was a man who traveled. He lived the life. And later on, he testifies in one of his epistles and says, I want to please God rather than man. I want to tell you something. Just believing that God exists does not make us okay. It doesn't. Because faith must have deeds behind it to be real faith. If you can say in your mind, I believe that God is, why not just take it to the next step? Why not just take it to that place where you say, now, Lord, take my life. I give it to you. You see, the thing about being our age and older and old enough to understand things rather than being a baby is that we come to that place where we have to choose that moment in which we say, Lord, you come into my life. Change me. Make me what you want me to be. I'll tell you what. We heard a wonderful message a few weeks back from Brother Williams on having the transformed mind. And you know, part of that verse is don't be conformed to the world. In Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed. The world has, is doing its best to fit you into its mold. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not interested in fitting you any, into any kind of mold. He's interested in transforming your mind. He's interested in transforming your heart and changing not just what you believe in your mind, but also how you live as a result of believing that. So James was telling us it is absolutely vital if you say you believe that you have deeds to back it up. How am I going to do that? That's hard. It's definitely hard when we have lived a life of sin, when we have lived in a habit, or maybe there has even been an addiction that has been a part of your life. But I want to tell you that in the middle of all of that, the power of the blood of Jesus can break every chain in your life 
and bring change, true change in your heart. And you can live for him by his strength and by his power. So don't believe the lie that I believe in God so I'm okay. But instead, take it to the next level and say, I believe, therefore I will act. I will do. I will be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And here's another thing, another lie that is often told by the devil that we fall for. I have lots of time to come to Christ. I have all the time in the world. Right over in the book of James, if you have a Bible, you can just go there. James chapter 4. I have all the time in the world. I was driving to church this morning. My normal route getting from where we live is to come down Tui Avenue, turn on Kedzie, and then turn on to Pratt. And as I got to the intersection of Pratt and Western, I noticed something there that I had not seen in my previous trips here. And it was right at the intersection on my right as I'm heading east on Pratt. There were two crosses that had been fastened to a pole. And then flowers. And then candles as if it had been lit in honor and memory of someone. Two people, clearly. And I thought, when did that happen? I don't remember seeing that ever before. I don't know what happened there. I have no idea. Maybe some of you know, but I don't know what took place. I don't know if it was an auto accident. I don't know if it was violence of some kind. I have no idea. But it was clear that two people who probably thought, we have all the time in the world, we have lots of time, have no more time. The script changed. Things change in our lives. We, we don't recognize it. We don't realize it. We never could have dreamed that somewhere along the way, some young person has shorter amount of time than we anticipated. And, and, and we see it all around us. So you could probably tell stories. You could more than likely, you know people who have come to that place where so young and their life is snuffed out. And we don't know what is going to happen. We have no idea. And yet we fall for this lie. And especially as young people, I remember being you know, I'm not young anymore. I'm not old, but not young. I'm just kind of right in the middle there. <clears throat> they call it middle-aged, you know. And, and being in that position, I am, I am, frankly, I am closer to where I don't want to be than where I would rather be, and that would be young again. And we, we you know, when we're young, we just, we kind of assume that's not going to happen to me. I have lots of time. And so therefore, let me live for me. This is where the lie goes, though. The lie says, let me live to please me. And this is often the message that is preached from the world. It's often the message that is preached from people around you. You know, you, you just live to be happy. You live to please you. You live to do whatever it is that you want to do. And it's all me, me, me. And what can I get out of life? But I want to tell you today that the time that we think we have, James is going to put that lie to rest. Listen to what he says in James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He says this, 
Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Even if you live to be 85, my mother, I believe, will be 90. She will be, I, I don't know how, I, I lost track at 90. 91 or 92. Even if you live to be her age, this concept of your life is here for a moment and then vanishes still applies. 90 years is nothing in the light of eternity. It's nothing. And then you think about what your plans are. Most of us, we have plans for the week. For many, it's to go to a job and to continue to work and to earn money to take care of your family. You have all kinds of plans. Maybe it is planning to hook up with friends and family and just be a part of something that is bigger than your own life, your own little life in that moment, but you, you're planning for these things. And yet, James says here, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Whatever happened at that intersection, they didn't know that that was going to happen. We have no idea. You say, your pastor, you're trying to scare us. Well, you know what? If that's how, what gets you into the kingdom, fine. Be scared into the kingdom. And some, somewhere along the way, we've lost the ability to fear God. We fear everybody around us. We fear people that we work with. We fear family members. We fear all kinds of things around us, but we have failed to fear God because we want to push him out. I want to tell you, no amount of pushing God out is going to change the outcome of who God is and the fact that one day we will all stand before him and we have to give an account to the one who breathed life into us to begin with. I want to tell you today is not the day to just kind of waffle and be like, you know, I got lots of time. I'm 30 something. Well, guess what? 30 something goes like that. And then you're 50 something. And then you're 70 something. And then if you live long enough, you might be 90 something. But trust me, there's not much after 90 that's going to happen. It just is a fact. It's just a fact. My wife's grandmother in Argentina is 103. And she looks like she is 80s, in her 80s. I mean, she, she looks wonderful. She's healthy and strong, but 103. I just read the, last night, I saw the headline. I didn't read the article. The, supposedly, the oldest person in the world was 124, just died. 124 is a pretty good lease on life right there. But somewhere along the way, when you get to 120, you're not guaranteed the next minute, let alone tomorrow. We somehow look at life and we think it's just this big, giant, fat gift. And oh my goodness, I've got all the time in the world. No, you don't. None of us do. I don't know what my life will be tomorrow or if it will be. So therefore, what do I do about eternity? Well, let me tell you, the Bible answers that for us. Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians and he says... Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today. Can't do anything about yesterday. Our country is inflicted with a disease of trying to fix what happened many years ago. You're not going to do it. 
You won't fix anything. You won't fix the past. You can't fix yesterday. Don't tell me you can fix 300 years ago or 200 years ago. You can't do it. You can only take care of today. And the question is, are you going to take care of it through the lens of the cross? Or are you going to take care of it according to the dictates of what you think is right in your own heart? The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man and the end is destruction. I want to tell you the only way to avoid that is to come to the cross because it is at the cross that he has shed his blood for all mankind all mankind and the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin you cannot cleanse sin out of your own life you can't say well i'm going to curb my my fleshly appetites for a while that's all you're doing you're curbing fleshly appetites for a while but you will not cleanse sin in your own life it only comes through the blood of jesus christ i want to tell you the ground is level at the cross there is none greater than jesus Jesus, and we all stand there as being individuals who are, are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. But we have to come to him and do it now. Do it now. Today. Today is the day of salvation. I want to take you to one last passage of scripture. In John chapter 5. In the book of John chapter 5 and here's another fallacy another lie that we believe and it is this I have a Bible and I read it every now and then so I'm okay I have a Bible and I read it every now and then so I'm okay there was a lie that the religious leaders of the day that Jesus was always in conflict with. We often look at Jesus like, you know, and we, we, you know, in Sunday school we used to sing a little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that is true, he does. Absolute, absolutely true. Theologically sound, theologically right. But there is something that we often mistake as eternal life and this is what happened with the religious leaders because they were reading the very scripture that Jesus presented the very scripture that Jesus read the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he went into the synagogue and the Bible says that he found a place in the scroll of Isaiah where it it read that the the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to uh, heal the brokenhearted to to set the captives free and this is the acceptable year of the Lord and he said today in your hearing is this fulfilled what did he mean he meant he was the fulfillment of that one on whom the spirit of God the, the Holy Spirit rested to preach the good news that very scripture he says testified about him now listen to what happened John chapter 5, verses 36 through 40. Jesus said these words. He says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. That is John the Baptist. He was saying John the Baptist testified about who I am as the son of God, as the Messiah, as the one who is to come that you are looking for. But he says, I've got another testimony that's weightier than that. For the works that the father has given to me to finish 
the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. The whole thing was, no, no, you're, you're, not, you're not who you say you are. We're, you're not the Son of God. You're not any of this. And they found it almost blasphemous that he was saying that, he, that God was his Father. And he says, the very works that I'm doing testify about the fact that he sent me. Let's go on. The Bible says, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Now listen to this. Listen to what Jesus is about to say to these religious leaders who studied the law, who studied the old covenant, the old what we know now know as the Old Testament. We refer to it as that. He said they've studied it. He said, and his word does not dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Now, there is a connection between what they have read and who Jesus is. Here's what he's about to say. He says in verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I want to tell you, this book ought to lead you to Jesus. But having this book does not mean you have eternal life. Opening it up every now and then to read a psalm here and there does not mean you have eternal life. You have to come to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is saying to them, he said, the very things that you're studying point to me. Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Nobody else. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Men and women, by the way, that's all encompassing. It's mankind, everybody. There is no other name under heaven whereby anybody can be saved. No, no, you can't pull out the big names in the world and say, I'm going to be saved by them. You're not going to. If you've ever had the opportunity to be around somebody famous, anybody in the building ever had the opportunity to just kind of be really close to somebody famous? Yes, a few have. Uh, my wife rode an elevator with Michael Jordan one time as she was when she was working downtown. A number of years ago, Julian Burnley, who he and his wife used to attend this church, Julian and I were having lunch up in Northbrook, and and Deerfield is really close, and that's where the Bulls had their practice facility, and. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there in this deli eating lunch, and in walks Scottie Pippen, and he comes by. And then I remember when Princess Diana came to the city of Chicago. My wife was a fan of Diana. So what did that mean? Well, that just meant we had to chase her around the city, <laughs> just so you know. And we did, and we got, you know, a few feet away from seeing the princess as she walked into the Field Museum on a particular day. You can be around somebody famous, but that person isn't going to do anything for you. You got to know that. There isn't anybody in this world as powerful as they are, as, as, as influential as they might be, they cannot save the soul. Jesus was saying, you even have the scriptures, the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you reject me. Just having the scriptures does not change your life. You have to accept the one that it's testifying about. You have to come, he says, you've got to come to me for life. 
Listen, don't go to anybody else. Don't go to anything else for life. Come to Jesus. Come to him. He loves you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross so that you could have freedom from sin. I know there's a lot wrong in our world today. But I will tell you, no amount of any kind of social reform will fix it. You know why? Because from the very beginning of time, the problem has been in the heart of mankind. It's been in the heart. It's on the inside. It's that Adam and Eve believed a lie. And through that lie, sin entered the world and entered our lives. David said, in sin did my, my mother conceive me. I came into a world sinful as he's praying that prayer of repentance because he gave in to sin. This man who the Bible says about him that he was a man after God's own heart. How is it that God chooses somebody like David, an adulterer and a murderer, to then be known as a man after his own heart? How is that even possible? It's only possible through something that our world is clueless about, and it's called mercy. The mercy of God. God looks down at what he has made, and he is merciful. I always find it wonderful and, and encouraging and so heartening as I read how even after Adam and Eve sinned and went against God, the very word of God, after Satan distorted it, after Eve distorted it, and how God, the Bible says, that he came down. God didn't just from heaven say, you know what? Pretty much two people here, boom, zap, start over. He didn't do that. The Bible says he came down. And that indicates that God is more interested in mercy than he is judgment. This is why David can be known as a man after God's own heart. Yes, David fell into sin, some pretty big sin, by the way. Not, 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 this was not nothing. Committed adultery with Bathsheba and then happened to, just so happened to have her husband killed to cover it up, to try to cover it up. But God sees everything. He sees your life. He sees the depths of your heart, the things that nobody knows about. He sees it. He knows what's going on. And I want to tell you that in spite of how sinful we might be and we look in the mirror and say, yeah, I've messed it up. Can God ever forgive me? Oh, listen, if God can forgive David, if God can forgive Saul of Tarsus, if God can forgive some of these people in the Bible, I want to tell you there is great hope for all of us that his love lasts for Ever, it endures forever. He loves you with all of his heavenly heart. And that's a whole lot bigger than our earthly heart. Stand to our feet. In the closing moments of this meeting, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. In fact, 
as much as I believe in making a public confession of faith, not even going to ask anybody to lift their hands this morning. I am simply going to ask you to search your own heart and say, Lord, where am I with you? Have I believed these three lies or am I following you? If you're following him, wonderful. Pray that you continue to do that and you persevere in him. But the bottom line is, if you're not today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today. Just pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to turn toward you and turn away from sin. You know, the Bible talks about repentance. Repentance simply is to turn away from the sin that we're involved in. Say, I can't do that by myself. No, you can't. You're right. But he can help you. And he will help you. He desires to help you. He wants to help you. And if you will just open your heart to him and say, Lord, I believe in you, but make that belief turn into living my life to please Jesus. Nobody else to please Jesus. I want to tell you, your life will be powerful. He'll make you what he desires you to be. Let's pray together. And if you are here today and you know you need Jesus in your heart, just breathe a prayer to the Lord. Just the way you would talk to a friend or a family member. Say, Jesus, come into my life and change me. I believe in you and I trust in you and I'm going to live for you. Heavenly Father, today, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you as Lord and Savior as of yet. Maybe somewhere along the way they've heard about you. They've heard about who you are. But, Lord, they look around in the world and they get so frustrated by all the evil that there is. They feel as though they're defeated. But, God, today we know that in the end you will have the final say. You will win. And so, therefore, Lord, we trust in you and we trust in the fact that you gave your life on Calvary for our sin. You died on the cross to cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness so that we can live for you. No, we don't live perfectly, but God, we live in faith, believing that you're going to help us each and every day to honor you with our lives. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, if there is anybody who has fallen for the lies of the enemy, that today they would run to the truth of the word of God and recognize that the word speaks about you. It all points to you, Jesus. And Lord, they can come to you and run to you and find, oh Lord, forgiveness at you at the cross of Christ. I ask today for your hand of mercy to rest upon them, O oh God, today. Thank you for everyone who has been in this room today. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them and minister to them and strengthen them, O oh God, to live for you. And God, we are grateful today. We thank you, Lord, once again for precious little Marley that has come into the world and come into these families, oh God, to brighten their lives. And I pray that as she grows, that, Lord, you would strengthen her, help her to live, to honor you. And God, we're going to give you the glory today in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said together, amen, amen. God bless you. So glad that you were in the house of the Lord this morning.